Hi, this is Luke. And this is Albert. Today is Friday the 16th of April, and welcome to the Telescope Investing Podcast. Hey Albert, a couple of weeks ago, we got an email from one of our listeners, Emil from Denmark. And Emil told us about a company called Gravity. So Gravity are a gaming company based in South Korea. And Emil said he thought it'd be a good investment and have we looked into it. Emil, sorry buddy, we haven't. But we have somebody with us today who has. We are pleased to welcome Chris to the podcast. Chris is also known as Zippy Capital on Twitter, Substack and Seeking Alpha. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Now, a quick reminder before we get into today's episode, as our listeners know, you've got to do your own due diligence. We're going to go deep on a really interesting company, Gravity, today, but this is not a stock recommendation. So, Chris, before we get into Gravity, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about Zippy Capital? Sure. Thanks, Luke. First of all, thank you and Albert for having me. So a little bit about me. I'm a 31-year-old private investor. I work a full-time corporate job and manage a portfolio on the side and really like kind of diving in and researching companies and stocks. And so over the years, I've written articles on Seeking Alpha. And with the pandemic last year, I had a little bit more time on my hands. So got back into publishing articles online and then also got active on FinTwit and never knew this world existed, but was able to connect and share my ideas with a lot of smart retail as well as professional investors online. And so got involved in FinTwit, discovered Gravity, started trying to keep a investing journal and Substack as well as Seeking Alpha. And so glad you guys reached out for me to come on this podcast and talk about a company that I've spent a lot of time researching and Gravity. Just to double check, Chris, you don't work for Gravity, right? No, no, zero <laughs> affiliation. Chris's affiliate link in the show notes. <laughs> He's in sales and marketing for Gravity. They do need some better marketing. They're not putting out the press releases that some of the American companies do just to get their news out there. So that's definitely an area of improvement for them. How would you characterize your investing style? So to be honest, I still have a lot to learn. I'm, I'm relatively young, right? I don't have you know decades of experience in the markets, but uh, in terms of picking individual stocks, I like to have kind of a long-term uh, investment horizon. I also like to... Uh, kind of focus my investing in, in areas that I'm familiar with. So I'm not going to be investing a lot of biotech companies, energy, commodity type companies, just because that's not really my area of expertise. I work in the consumer goods industry, so I'm pretty comfortable in the consumer sector, retail, some technology. And so that's where I want to focus my time on. You guys have said in the previous episodes, looking for companies with sustainable competitive advantages and sustainable long-term growth prospects. I think more recently, I've been looking for smaller companies. Most of my portfolio is kind of large caps and I want to diversify in the small cap. But then also looking for companies at a critical inflection point where the market doesn't quite understand the story yet, but certain factors hit, they can really take off. So that's how I'm thinking about picking stocks. In terms of building my portfolio, when I started investing, I was, I was pretty risk averse, especially having kind of lived through the first financial crisis in 08, 09. And so I, I kind of over diversified, I would say in the beginning. And so now I'm trying to get a little bit bit more concentrated and build a portfolio that kind of matches my conviction level. So you still want to stay diversified, but you can probably get sufficient diversification with 15, 20 names as long as they're in all you know, different industries. That really resonates with me. I did exactly the same thing. Albert and I have been at this for maybe 17, 18 years now. And I think back to the peak of my portfolio in terms of the number of stocks, maybe 2010, 2011, I had like 60 or 70 things in my portfolio. It's basically like an index. One day I'd look back at my performance. I'm like, 
actually, I'm making good decisions here. So I thought I need to start focusing my investments. It's taken me a long time, but I'm now getting close to my objective of having 90% of my money in a top 10 of stocks, just trying to get much more focused. Yeah, I found the same. I think it's a natural consequence of when you buy a lot of stocks, but you never sell, you just accumulate many, many positions because you don't want to miss out on the gains of a stock you bought a few years ago. And for me, I think in the beginning, I had more names because I had less confidence. If your conviction level is lower, you scatter your bets across different names. You think that you can have a good outcome that way. Whereas now, if you spend a little bit more time understanding the underlying business and, and getting comfortable with your top names, it's a little bit easier to feel better about being, being more confident. Yeah, it's interesting you say the reason why you think you're risk averse is because you started investing at the time of the financial crisis around 2008. And I think it's the same for me because I started investing around the year 2000 at the time of the dot-com crash. And I think when that happens, you are going to be affected and you are going to be a little bit more risk averse. Kind of helpful thing to have in your arsenal though, when you've gone through a down market like that, it helps you deal with really volatile times, helps you steel yourself and see those as opportunity rather than a threat. And as you share your portfolio online, Chris. And there's a quite a few names that we have in common. I think we're both invested in companies like C, Teladoc and Square. What's your highest conviction out of those three? So right now, my highest conviction is C Limited. So it's about 20% of my portfolio. And, and we do share some common names. So it's really cool to see that. I think C fell into your guys' e-commerce macro trend. And I, I definitely agree with that. I think this company is kind of like the perfect COVID stuff, which makes a little bit worried, you know, uh, as we kind of recover from COVID. Because you think about it, you have e-commerce, you have emerging markets, you have the mobile gaming side, and then you have digital payments. And so, you know, I've heard it referred to as a three-headed monster uh, because of those divisions. Uh, but I've been very impressed with the company. The Force Lee is a very impressive CEO. They seem to be executing at a very high level. On the gaming side, this Free Fire game is like taken off. It's taken kind of each region by storm. I think in Southeast Asia, big in Latam. Now I see it's getting to the top of the chart in the US. Um, and I just heard, I think they're trying to push it in the Middle East. So it's kind of like a Fortnite PUBG type game that I think is early in its cycle. So hopefully that can provide the company enough cash to invest in e-commerce, which we know can be very capital intensive. So I'm a little bit worried on the valuation, just a little bit worried as COVID hopefully tails off and maybe e-commerce in the short term is going to take a backseat. But I think long term, all the trends are there, right? Southeast Asia, huge growing economy, internet, and smartphone penetration is strong. And then the e-commerce penetration is low right now. So, right, they have a lot more to grow versus like a China or South Korea. So that's my highest conviction position. But then I think Teladoc's one that I listened to your guys' podcast on and I, I like kind of your take on the company. I can just share a, a personal story since I know I think in the UK and Hong Kong, Teladoc's not as readily available. But I had my first experience with Teladoc recently. It's available through my employer. So that's already a plus. And I think a lot of companies are going that direction. You know, no co-payment or very uh, reduced cost. Uh, in America, that's a big deal because our healthcare premiums can be high depending on your provider. And so I used Teladoc I had a, for a dermatology appointment. And within 10 minutes of making the request for appointment, I was talking to somebody, I sent my pictures in, uh, the dermatologist diagnosed me right after the appointment. She sent the prescription in and I lived 15 minute walk from the pharmacy, went to the pharmacy, picked it up, was at home. So within an hour, I had my problem diagnosed and the treatment ready to go. I can't imagine going back to a normal doctor. I mean, I might have to wait a few days or week for all that to play out. It's just so convenient. So I think that's an example of a COVID winner, a company that obviously gained a ton of new users during the pandemic. But at least for me, I'd rather go use Teladoc than go to a doctor, even no pandemic, because it's just convenient. We value our time very highly and give
gives us an option to give us time back in our days. So I just figured I'd share that story. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's great to hear. We agree with you. I think that was a big part of our investment thesis that once people start this, they won't go back to the old way of doing things. It's really good to uh, hear from a real user of the platform. I'm feeling happy with my Teladoc investment, even though it's taken a bit of a battering in the last month or two. But I guess we brought you on today to talk about Gravity, which is a completely different company to Teladoc. Maybe you could tell us about how you discovered Gravity initially yourself. Yeah, so Gravity is a pretty unknown and misunderstood company, but I first discovered it listening to uh, another podcast, actually. It's called the Value Hive Podcast, and the host had Mads Christensen on, who's a Danish investor, pretty active on Twitter, sharing his ideas, and very smart, long-term oriented thinker. The reason I tuned in was because he was talking about C-Limited, but he also mentioned Gravity in that podcast. So that's where I first heard of the company. Then I started researching it and discovered there was a pretty knowledgeable investor base active on social media. So I was able to connect with a lot of those experts and read through all the company filings. So that's where I got my start. And I can talk through the history of the company and my thesis if that works. That'd be great. Yeah, sure. So Gravity is a South Korean gaming developer and publisher. So while they're based in South Korea, actually about half of the revenues are generated in Southeast Asia and Taiwan. And then uh, they also operate around the world. Gravity is most known for its Ragnarok Online franchise. So this game started in 2002. It's a PC MMORPG, so massively multiplayer online role-playing game. And it was actually one of the most popular MMORPGs at the time. And it's still one of the most played games in history. Last I checked, it had 80 million registered accounts throughout the world. So very popular game back in the early 2000s. So they launched this game in 2002. They went public in 2005 on the NASDAQ. At that time, it was the first Korean company to go IPO in the United States. So that's kind of a, a brief history of how they got started. After they, they IPO'd their flagship game, that Ragnarok Online, it's kind of been declining in popularity. And so since then, they've tried to pivot into different games and different forms. This company really struggled after the Ragnarok Online PC game kind of fell in popularity, but most recently they made a pivot into mobile gaming and that kind of, I would say, changed the fortunes of the company around 2017. Pretty much all the revenues are generated from Ragnarok-based games. Ragnarok is an intellectual property that they have the exclusive license for until 2033. And so the creator partnered with Gravity. It started as a Korean comic and they turned it into a, a video game. That's kind of the value of the company is a strong IP. As an American, I had no idea what the heck this thing was, right? So most people are not familiar with it, but Ragnarok Online is extremely popular IP in Asia. You know, I was doing my research, they had a concert series in the different cities throughout Asia, and they sold out tickets within like minutes. Thousands of people that would go to listen to the soundtrack for the game. So that kind of shows you how strong the IP is in Asia, right? I couldn't really find a good American comparison. Maybe Pokemon Go, people go to these meetups and things like that. So very popular intellectual property that's cool i guess games and movies are like modern classical music really it's the stuff that uh, really kind of gets inside your soul if you're a big fan of that game perhaps video games comprise modern culture these days mm. well chris it seems that there are literally millions of mobile games out there what separates gravity from the other game developers yeah that's a great question personally i don't think gravity is a special game developer so i just want to make that clear this is not like a activision blizzard a take two interactive i would not call it a flagship developer like a tier one game developer 
developer. Uh, in fact, they've actually had trouble developing games on their own. I'll talk through kind of how they do things. Basically, Ragnarok Online was falling in popularity of the PC game, their flagship game. They try to develop mobile games on their own with limited success. So what they started doing was partnering and kind of outsourcing their mobile game development for Ragnarok IP to different third parties in exchange for giving those companies access to the Chinese market. So they had an agreement with DreamSquare, a Chinese developer. So basically how the agreement works is DreamSquare will develop uh, mobile games based on the Ragnarok IP and Gravity will have the right to distribute that game worldwide excluding China. And then DreamScore will have the Chinese market. And so essentially what they're doing is leveraging their IP for very cheap game development. And so this agreement actually got them their big hit game in, in 2017. That's a really smart, quite innovative business model. They've really de-risked all of that investment upfront where they have to build the game. To make it clear, Gravity still does develop games in-house, but recently their hit games have all been developed by third parties. So I mentioned DreamSquare game. They're actually working with Tencent on a different game that's been released uh, in Korea and will go to Japan, but Tencent has a rights in China and they're still waiting government approval for that. But yeah, it's it's a pretty interesting model leveraging their IP that gives them, like you said, relatively cheap game development. When you look at their R&D cost as a percent of revenues, it's lower than kind of the other gaming companies out there. So you mentioned that the developers have the rights to distribute the game in China. So where does Gravity get the rights to distribute their games? Uh, so Gravity will distribute it the rest of the world excluding China. That's quite a big market, especially because it captures Southeast Asia and Ragnarok is pretty popular in Southeast Asia, specifically Thailand, Indonesia, Philippines. And so it's still a very large addressable market. Right now, the issue with China is that it's actually been difficult to get games approved, Korean games. Essentially, it's for political reasons. Chris, let's not get into the politics because Albert's in Hong Kong and we don't want the CCP knocking on his door. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I hear what you're saying about Southeast Asia being really hot on gaming. I remember like a bunch of stories, individuals in Thailand and Korea literally dying in front of a PC because they sat there playing it so long. They just died of like malnutrition. That's a serious gaming culture. Gaming is probably the reason why South Korea has one of the fastest broadband networks in the world. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Here's the thing with Southeast Asia and why I think gravity is a good play on development in that region. So basically when Ragnarok Online in 2002, right, the early 2000s, when that game launched, think about these economies in Southeast Asia. Internet usage wasn't necessarily where it is today. Broadband penetration is not where it was today. And so that game was big in you know Japan and South Korea, but it wasn't as big in Southeast Asia just because people didn't have the technology to play it. What's happening now is the games are mostly being played on smartphones and smartphone penetration in Southeast Asia is quite high, right? So we know this game is very popular. The brand is very strong in Southeast Asia. They kind of missed like the early 2000s because of technology, but now they have the means to play that game. And so that's kind of central to the thesis for investment in gravity is that you're now able to capture that Southeast Asian market very well with the IP that's very popular within Asia. They also had a crossover partnership event with Free Fire, which is C. Garena's worldwide hit game. And so one of the top games is willing to have a crossover event with Ragnarok that kind of shows you how strong the IP is. That's really nice for you when you see two companies in your portfolio collaborating, kind of validating each other. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Gravity is a lot smaller, but yeah, it's definitely nice. So yeah, that's the big macro trend to invest in Gravity, right? Is that Southeast Asian smartphone and gaming growth with the strong brand. And then a little bit more about the company and where it's at. It was a struggling company because Ragnarok Online was declining. It was actually a penny stock at some time and they had to do a reverse split. 
this agreement with DreamSquare, that game developing agreement, it yielded a hit mobile game started in 2017 called Ragnarok Eternal Love. And so that game gave the company a lot of steam from 2017 through 2019. It's still popular in some markets now, but basically how Gravity distributes this game is they'll go market by market. So they'll launch in Taiwan, Hong Kong, Macau, and then go Southeast Asia, then Japan, et cetera, et cetera. So typically games will have a short shelf life, but by staggering the release dates, it allows Gravity to capture more sustainable revenues over a long period of time. And so Eternal Love kind of really changed the game. So I'll just read off some of these growth numbers, top line growth numbers for the company, all fueled by Eternal Love. 2016, they grew 44%, 2017, 176%, 103% in 2018, 26% in 2019. So the company really rolled the wave as it went through different markets. And so Eternal Love is a free to play game and it gets monetized through in-game purchases, right? And so it's a social game. So people really are looking to level up their characters, get cool, different things for their character. And so that's kind of where the monetization comes in, not too dissimilar to Free Fire, different mobile games out there. So Albert and I are old school, but this is like loot boxes type thing, right? Where you can pay to play. Yep. Yep. Definitely. That's the model. That was kind of the first big inflection point for the company 2016 through 2019. The reason I, you know, I'm invested now is I think they're in the midst of another boom cycle. They have two games that the company knows are hit games. They're mobile games. So while Eternal Love revenues obviously will fall off because mobile games have a relatively short shelf life, they have two hit games. So one is called Origin. This is the one that was developed by Tencent. They launched that in Korea. It was the top five grossing game in Korea, iPhone, as well as Android. And so that game is going to get launched in Japan this quarter and then throughout the world. Then they got another hit game called Next Generation. Uh, this game launched in Taiwan, Hong Kong, Macau. It sat at number one on the top grossing charts there for a little bit. It's falling off now, but that game's going into Southeast Asia this quarter and then we'll get distributed around the world. In terms of Ragnarok games, we got two big ones that the company believes is actually better than Eternal Love. So Eternal Love is actually a 2D game. It's got decent graphics, but I wouldn't say it's the latest technology. Uh, Origins 3D and then Next Generation, you know, the company believes it's going to perform much better than Eternal Love. So I think the company's in another cycle of having a bunch of hit games. And then on top of that, they have some optionality. And so first is they announced a partnership with the NBA recently for them to develop games for the Asian market. So I think this will be kind of like a card battle genre game. They have a Ragnarok PC game that's coming out. And they also have a Battle Royale type game called Ragnarok Battle Academy. So it's similar to PUBG and Free Fire and Fortnite where the map kind of shrinks, but it's a Ragnarok take on that genre. And so a lot of different options. And then lastly, if any of these games get approved in China, right now they're pending Origin Approval. Gravity will get some of those revenues and that's going to be a massive deal. There was a Korean peer company called WebZen that recently got a game approved in China and the stock popped 25% one day. So it's what I call basically call options, right? From a valuation standpoint, it trades relatively cheap versus its South Korean peers. Uh, last I looked, it was like trading at nine times trailing EV to EBIT. So that's a thesis. Eternal Love sounds like a dating game. Have you actually played any of these games before? I played Eternal Love. It's not really my cup of tea, but yeah, you're right, Albert. It's actually a very social game. And obviously the name, right? It's a love-themed game. There's some experts that follow the company that actually say there's some Koreans actually met their spouse on the original Ragnarok online game back in the day. So yeah, it's MMORPG, so it's inherently very social. It needs a lot of players to give it a robust environment, but I think that's what separates it from maybe some of these other games. The whole point of the game is, right, 
play, to interact with other players, to level up your character, to have these different jobs. That's kind of the point. It sounds like a game version of Tinder. <laughs> Maybe. You need to open some Tinder loot boxes, Albert. You need to level up your character. <laughs> Well, Chris, you sound quite bullish on the company, but what would you say are the biggest risks? Yeah, definitely. So first of all, gaming is a very highly competitive industry, right? The life cycle for games is short, uh, especially mobile games. If you look at Gravity's games, they peak on the grossing charts within six months and tail off. While I think they have a strong pipeline for this year and next year, there's always a risk if they can't come up with the next big game, right? So that's an inherent risk. The second is that the primary shareholder is actually Gung Ho Online Entertainment, which is a Japanese companies. They're the controlling shareholder. They have 59% of the outstanding shares. And after talking to some folks, people are not exactly the most impressed with that company's management and execution. So I, I talked to one investor, they described the company as a clown show, actually. So that's not very bullish, right? Uh, so basically, I mean, they're the controlling shareholder. They could make some bad decisions that affect us as minority shareholders of Gravity. Uh, and then I think the last risk I would say is just execution. So if there's delays and launches or issues with in-game play that turn players off. MMORPG games require a lot of users to create a robust environment. So if there's any bad in-game decisions or glitches or things like that that turn players off, that's going to be an issue. Yeah, the free clown show isn't very reassuring. It's never really a good sign to hear that. Well, unless you're talking about a circus. <laughs> yeah, definitely not a good sign. So what do you think about the valuation of Gravity today? I think their market cap's around $900 million. How does that feel to you? Yeah, so Gravity had a pretty big run in 2020, right? The stock price appreciated over 350% and it's kind of pulled back recently. And so I think valuation's interesting with this company because historically it's traded at very low multiples. For a long time, it was just a company with a PC game that was dying, right? And that was it. But now it re-rated in recent history as uh, mobile has taken off. And so I think right now at nine times trailing EV EBIT and no debt sitting on like 160 million of cash. I think it's it's a pretty attractive moment. Uh, it hit a high of around like 240 in 2020. And so quite honestly, I think it can be a double this year uh, as long as they execute and they roll out of these games uh, go well. 2020, they grew their operating profit 85% despite revenues only being up 12 and a half percent, lapping all those tough eternal love. But I think what's exciting is the margin expansion. So their EBITDA margin grew about 10% and it kind of just shows you the operating leverage that a mobile gaming company can have because if you think about it, the revenues are just split up over small pool of fixed costs, right? So good leverage there. So yeah, I think it's on an inflection point. I think the valuation is fair. So I think it can be a double. The tricky part is that it's a pretty volatile stock. It doesn't have a lot of institutional ownership. Most of the shareholders their base is retail plus gung-ho and it's also kind of a orphan stock a south korean gaming company listed in the united states when all the rest of the korean gaming companies are listed in korea so it can kind of get lost in the shuffle i think right now the risk reward seems fair i guess you said in the intro you're looking for young companies that the market hasn't caught on to where there may be an inflection point I and mean, the way you describe gravity it certainly sounds like it hits all those points yeah i think in 2020 it, it was a value play right this thing was trading like one times EV EBIT, which is unheard of, like a ridiculously low PE, especially when you consider their cash. I think they could be in a revenue and cash flow inflection point. So they doubled their cash flows in 2020 versus 2019. I think that could continue moving forward. 
this company has a shareholder base that is pretty uh, heavy in Scandinavia for some reason. I think those guys in Scandinavia, they love their wild, volatile, small cap stocks. They've put us onto a ton of really crazy investments, some of which we've picked up for our own portfolios. Yeah, the Scandinavians do a great job, especially in the gaming sector, I realize. They have a very strong understanding of that area. And I think the Swedish stock market is like one of the best performing over the last 12 months. And so I think they're heavy on like sports betting companies, gaming companies. And so, you know, this investor base is pretty well educated in that area, more so than Americans. As you mentioned, Gravity has a market cap of just under $1 billion. And I read recently that Epic Games, while it's still private, has a valuation of around $28 billion. Do you think Gravity has the scope to reach that level? Yeah, that's, that's a tough comparison for this company. I, I still think Gravity is somewhat of a niche you know, like you said, a cute social game that is very popular in Southeast Asia. I don't know if that IP has the Fortnite level or Free Fire or PUBG level adoption. I don't think it's anywhere close to that. But at less than a billion dollars, I think the valuation definitely has room to go up. So $160 million of cash on hand and partnerships with Tencent. Uh, they got one with ByteDance or ByteDance is publishing some games. And then there's agreement from the NBA. It seems like it's got room to run given all these nuggets. And then I think what they do with their cash will be interesting as well. I guess this is one of the risks too, is just them spending the cash in an inefficient manner. But I think they're in the market to make an acquisition of some other intellectual property. I don't think it's ever going to be a $28 billion company. It could be, but I, I think at less than a billion, it's undervalued at the moment. Do you have a target valuation in mind where you would sell? My style is more kind of longer term buy and hold. And so in the case of Gravity, I might have to adjust it a little bit just because it is volatile and can go on runs. And also large pullbacks. And so I know some of the investor base in Gravity that discovered the company earlier when the stock price reached its high in 2020, they took some, some off the table, took some profits. And so while I'm longer term focused, I think you know with a volatile company like Gravity, it makes sense to manage risk and take some money off the table if it goes on a run. We're the same, Chris. We're long-term investors. And actually, recently, we've been looking at small cap stocks more as we're looking for hyper growth opportunities. And uh, this came about when we read a book called 100 Baggers by Chris Mayer back in November last year. <laughs> Chris is reaching for his bookshelf. I think he's about to dig out a copy. Wow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. No, it's a great book. Very easy to read and he distilled a lot of great concepts in it. So highly recommend it. 100 Baggers by Christopher Mayer. I like your sort of long-term thinking. As Albert said, this is how we think about stocks as well. We don't try and get in and out. For me, I kind of look at how the company is executing. As long as the thesis is intact, they've still got like a long runway. So maybe a company like Gravity, where you can see a couple of games in the pipeline, still expanding their addressable market, stick with it. These little stocks can be volatile like hell, but almost kind of a fun thing in the portfolio to feel the burn of the volatility, but you know, long-term, they've got great prospects. Yeah, definitely. I think gravity is not only volatile, but it's also in the mobile gaming industry that makes it even more volatile because you constantly need to understand the pipeline. So I think if we fast forward to late 2022 and the pipeline doesn't look as strong, then I, I might need to reconsider. But right now it seems very robust. So Chris, you tweeted recently and said you've got a 6% stake in gravity today. So what's your thinking on that? Given the fairly rounded bull and bear case you've shared, are you planning to increase or reduce that in the future? Right now, gravity is a 6% allocation in my portfolio. I think just given the volatility and some of the risks and my personal appetite for risk, I don't have immediate plans to add significantly to the position. If it dips back down to the key support level, I can look at the 200-day moving average. For that, I might add up 
opportunistically. But like I mentioned in the beginning, I have a little bit of a risk averse mindset and I'm trying to manage my risk. And there's still a lot of unknowns just being a Korean company. There's some language barriers for me to, to understand. And the fact that it's traded down at low multiples before, I am more comfortable with a smaller position within my portfolio. And so while my conviction is high, I think I'm not going to give it a 20% allocation because I'm trying to manage risk. Well, to be honest, Chris, 6% in a small cap company doesn't sound too risk averse to me. Yeah. For my small cap companies, I have like 0.5%. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, it's what each person is comfortable with, right? There's no right or wrong answer, quite honestly. I, I know some folks that have their majority of portfolio in this company, and I, I just cannot take that level of volatility personally. And I think it's more about knowing yourself and what you're comfortable with. Over time, I'm, I am getting more comfortable with the swings in the stock. And over time, perhaps as I get more information, talk to investor relations, possibly I can increase that. But uh, right now, this is where I'm comfortable at. That's a great reminder of what we said in the intro. You've got to do your own due diligence. Every investor's situation is different and there's nothing like really understanding and building personal conviction to help you stay the course in a stock when the price is swinging around. Yeah, and I think for me personally, the more risky and smaller the company is, the more research I have to do, right? So that's some positions where they're sizable positions, but I'm more comfortable not doing as much due diligence just because the risk factor is a lot low. Like, like Johnson & Johnson, the company I've held for a while, right? Like I don't need to do a whole lot of work uh, versus gravity. Like I got to do a lot of work to get comfortable with the investment case. Makes total sense. Similarly, I have Starbucks in my portfolio. I don't need to do much work on Starbucks. It's a big company. Everyone knows it. It's going to do well, I think. Uh, but something like Nanox Imaging that we covered a few weeks ago. Yeah, that needs a bit of work. Yeah, definitely. But the risk reward profile is different too, right? Nanox could be a multi-bagger. I like Starbucks a lot. I'm drinking Starbucks coffee right now, but it's <laughs> most likely not going to be the 100 bagger. Chris has got the 100 bagger book in one hand and his Starbucks cup of coffee in the other. <laughs> well, Chris, that was a really great interview. We really appreciate you sharing your time and sharing your insight on this lesser known company. Really valuable for our listeners. No, thanks for having me. I always love talking about this company. Yeah, thanks, Chris. That was really great. And if listeners are interested in following Chris, he's on Twitter at zippy underscore capital and also on Substack. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes, but I'm sure you can find him by just Googling zippy capital. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Telescope Investing Podcast, you can find more content at our website, telescopeinvesting.com, where you can leave us a comment or a review. And if this is your first time tuning in, perhaps consider subscribing to the website so that you're the first to hear about new articles and episodes as they drop. Thanks, Albert. Thanks, Luke. Hey, and thanks, Chris. Thank you. This podcast is for general information and is not a recommendation to act. Please seek independent investment advice before entering into any financial transaction. Entering into a transaction that involves securities or derivatives puts your capital at risk. Luke and Albert are not regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority or the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, and the companies mentioned in this podcast may be held personally by us. We can't be held responsible or liable for any action taken by a listener, and as ever, past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. Thanks and happy investing.